How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels or like sees the church it as suspicious? Trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers, I would but they never don't even be a part of a church that is not welcoming The church is the most vocal political voice against immigrants. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually it seems like so much of the church anti-critical they are being homophobic too narrow judgmental disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world <sighs> the church needs therapy welcome to the newest episode of the church needs therapy And this week, I'm going to be talking about joy. But before I do that, a little heads up for those who have been listening in over the past. It's been almost, I think, a year and a half, a year and a few months since I've started this. I'm almost 60 episodes in. I've had so many great guests. I've done so many teachings that I enjoy, that are meaningful to me, that I think are important for the world, that I hope that you are taking in, receiving, being transformed and reformed and shaped and that somehow all of this is helping your mind evolve and grow into a more inclusive and you know a, a widening and a more expansive and a more justice oriented and a more with, with more of a vision towards, you know, what healing and transformation look like in this world. And I hope that that is translating, helping translate your life into concrete love for our world, for our neighbors, for the marginalized, for your family who's hard to love, and for everybody around you. And a quick update, I have, I don't even remember if I said this last episode, but I have sent off my final draft like the final thing of my first book so the making of a mystic i changed the subtitle my original subtitle was the making of a mystic eating mushrooms finding god and following jesus and i changed the subtitle so it's still the making of a mystic the subtitle's been changed and i'm not going to reveal what that is now until the cover art comes out whenever that is But I will tell you two things. One, I did not change it because my agency or my publisher needed me to. They gave me freedom to choose. And I kept the word mushrooms in the title. If you were wondering, you're like, oh, yeah, Kev, he punked out in the end. He didn't want to keep mushrooms in the title. No, mushrooms. That was a that was an essential. That was a non-negotiable. That one was staying in the title. But just wanted to clue you in for the people listening in. Making of a Mystic, subtitle, new subtitle that will emerge coming in 2022. Still need to get the exact date for my publisher, but it's out of my hands. Acknowledgements, just, you know, all the, it's whatever else I forget. Acknowledgements, dedication, it's all out there. And I will give you more news on that as soon as I can. So for those of you who are excited to get that, I'm excited to get it to you and maybe we'll find a creative way for listeners to interact with it and for me to respond and for us to talk about in the podcast when the time is right so now this week i want to talk about joy you know that's 
something I enjoy and I feel like this podcast has been evolving and is evolving into is, you know, the title of the podcast is The Church Needs Therapy. And yes, that was my son outside if you heard him on the other side of the door. He's excited because his birthday's in three days and he's all about Lightning McQueen right now. So just just remember that. And I, f- I think at first I felt a little bit like, well, I've called the podcast The Church Needs Therapy. So every time I don't have a guest on, I need to do something specific of like, if the church came into a therapist's office, what are the issues we need to talk about? And oftentimes I do do that. We talk about all kinds of things I think the church needs to grow in. But what I also naturally want to do for people, what I also want to invite people into, what I also love to teach about is just, well, let's not feel the need to critique the church as a community or an institution each time. Sometimes I just want to remind people of our on our own journey. It's like, I don't want to just say things about the church every time. I want to continuously call the listeners and individuals forward in their own lives. So I think I'll probably take more and more freedom to do that because I just love doing it and I see it as valuable. And today we're going to talk a little bit about joy. Here's a quote I want to begin with from Jesus. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. On the last night Jesus was going to spend with his disciples and in what would become their final conversation, Jesus kept on talking about joy. Not belief statements, not doctrine, not a list of rules, but joy. Not power, not war, not domination, deep joy. Not success, not how to run a meeting, not unleashing productivity. Jesus kept insisting that this entire mystery and all of this life bends toward joy. The path I'm showing you heads towards joy. The reason I have come is for joy. The place all of this leads when actually lived out is an experience that is defined by joy. The sacrifice, the love, the forgiveness, the honesty, the risks, the welcoming of others, everything I have showed you is about clearing the way for joy to emerge in your life and in our world. This unexpected emphasis on joy seems to be central for Jesus, which then means it is at the center of life itself. Right? And we're, we respond and think, joy? Hmm, really? Hard work? Okay. Meaning? Yes. Success? Makes sense. Contributing? Of course. But joy? Like joy, it, it's so simple that it's almost impossible. There's a story about a pastor who preached you know, what what they thought was one of their best sermons they ever did on joy. And they talked about the connection in the Greek word between charis and grace and joy and how grace is connected to joy or how grace is even the mother of joy as if the experience of grace gives birth to joy. And, you know, people were engaged and people were in tune and people were It's one of those moments where as a pastor, you can tell that people are really flowing with you and 
hearing what you're saying and really receiving it in a deep way. And in this story, at the end of the sermon and when people are kind of just hanging out after the, the service ends, he, the, the pastor talks to a couple of people and one person who he had never seen before comes up to him and says, you know, he's like, hey, how you doing? Like a little pleasantry. But the person who came up said, do people still really think about joy? Sometimes we're too busy to even think about joy. You know, one of the records that gets played the most frequently in our minds, one of the the records that's the most familiar to almost everyone, but talked about by virtually no one, is a record I call the Justification Mixtape. And the Justification Mixtape usually turns on in our head at nighttime when our creative output for the day is coming to an end or when we are doing something fun during the daytime. And whenever it comes on, it is our mind making a mental list of everything we accomplished, completed, produced, and did during the day for the sake of justification, which raises the essential question. What are we justifying exactly when we do this, our existence, our right to live, our ability to experience joy, what are we justifying when our mind is attempting to justify to ourselves what we've accomplished? Right? The mind says, let's see, I've worked for six hours. I responded to seven of those emails. I worked out for 40 minutes. I filed most of that paperwork. I did some of my billing. I sent out all those orders. Right? You, you have your own version of this, don't you? And once we do that, if the shape of the day meets our arbitrarily created criteria, we allow ourselves to rest a little bit and wind down for the day. And if it doesn't, we hop back on our laptop, do some version of work until we can finally stop producing and we're ready to justify to ourselves. And it's always to ourselves, by the way when we're ready to justify to ourselves why we deserve to finally stop and enjoy. In this way of being, joy and rest are earned based on output levels. And let's be honest, it's hard to experience joy when you feel the need to justify your existence. Now, in in 2014... Two Hamburg-based photographers, Andre Giesemann, I don't know if that's right, and Daniel Scholz, created this photography series about the German club scene titled Von Blieben, or in English, what the Von Blieben means what remains. And what was so unique and defining about this project was that the focus was not on the parties and the people and the music or the energy in the club while it was open. The focus was on the visual of the space when it was empty the morning after. The artist said their goal for the project was to get, and I quote, people to reflect on their relationship with clubs. In an interview for this series, one of the photographers, when speaking of what it was, what it was like shooting the morning after some of the most sought after nightclub experiences in Germany, said, quote, sometimes it's simply the emptiness that remains. Which leads me to ask the question, is he talking about the clubs or the lives of the people that were in them? Sometimes we just keep parting. 
and assume that we must be filled with joy without ever stopping to make room for the truth of our current state of being. Because we're having so much fun or experiencing so much pleasure during the experience, we can uncritically assume there is joy in the experience. But lasting joy always has to be bigger than any particular experience. See, we don't want to just be a different person for a night. We want to be a different person for the rest of our lives. We don't want just an intense experience. We want actual transformation that will last. We don't want to just be happy during an event. We want to have joy forever. And people like myself, who have spent their time at the University of Drugs and Reckless Drinking and eventually graduated from that university, all know something. Parting is what you do when you hide from the pain. And joy is what happens when you find hope in the pain. Right? Just even from like partying is what you do when you hide from the pain. And joy is what happens when you find hope in the pain and drinking out of celebration and joy after finding hope in the pain and growing and evolving is very different from people who are just clearly parting, pushing their bodies and minds to the limit to avoid pain and to avoid something. Do you see how we have a complicated relationship with joy? Just talking about that. We're too busy to even think about joy. We work hard in order to justify being able to rest and enjoy. And sometimes we can keep parting and make the mistake that joy, that joy is in the driver's seat. When if we're honest, it's barely even along for the ride. But back to the beginning, Jesus claims that all of life has been structured by love and built for joy. Which brings us back to our constant companion of a question that I have in moments like this. What needs to be let go of in order to experience more joy? And I have multiple thoughts on this that I can talk about, but I'm just going to focus on one right now, right? The thing, one of the things, a big thing, one of the biggest things we need to let go of in order to make room for more joy in our life is the need to avoid pain. That is always, always, always the need to avoid pain, to not ever feel pain, to not let it full, to not feel the fullness of it when it comes in our life. That need to avoid it gets in the way of so much of our capacity and this interior universe we have to actually make room for joy. Now let's go back to that conversation Jesus was having with his disciples that I began with. Like I already said, this instance in the Gospel of John would end up being the last extended conversation Jesus was going to have with his friends and his disciples. And I mentioned that in this final conversation, Jesus centers all of the energy of life around joy. But what I didn't mention was the intensity of suffering Jesus was stepping into right after this conversation. This was the night before he was going to be crucified. This is the night before he was going to head to that cross, right? The, the cross, he's going to head to the cross that held together 
that was held together by the personal pain of Jesus and the universal liberation of humanity. While he was preparing himself for the promise of suffering, he was revealing to us the presence of joy. In the middle of that heavy and holy space, this is what Jesus said to his disciples, which also means this is what the Spirit is still speaking to us today. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. All of the mystery, all of the paradox, all of the distinct lines our minds want to draw between good and bad, pain and joy, and either or are all collapsed into these words from Jesus and into the eternal word of Christ. It's like... I would say like this, suffering builds the house of the sacred. Loss is what gives us the clarity to see love, and pain clears out the path for joy. We don't want it to be like this, but it seems like that is how things work. This is why Father Richard Rohr exclaims that the way of Jesus is, quote, a story about believing someone can be wounded and resurrected at the same time. Wounded and resurrected. Not wounded or resurrected. Wounded and resurrected. Which, this is why I asked this question. Okay, let me take a deep breath. How many different ways do Jesus and all of the great mystics have to make this connection between grief and joy in order for us to accept it and commit to live it out as one of the central tasks of this entire sacred path. Right? The great Mirabai star says, mystics dwell in the zone between unbearable suffering and transcendent joy. Khalil Gibran wrote, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears that is like Rumi said the wound is the place where the light enters you the great medieval mystic saint john of the cross said cry in prayer and the door will be opened in contemplation we spend so much of our life resisting some of the most natural relationships in life pain and joy suffering and love hurt and hope. Pain is not something we need to eliminate from our life. It is something we need to integrate in our life so we can keep receiving the flow of joy through our life as we learn to embrace the presence of God as our life. We can let go of our need to avoid pain because it is only when we do that that we can finally see that joy is the space where happiness and heaviness become one. I love that 
so much. We finally can wake up and trust enough and let go enough to see that joy is the space where happiness and heaviness become one. I want to end with this story. I live on the 37th, I'll say this from time to time, I live on the 37th floor of a building in the Arts District neighborhood in Honolulu called Kaka'ako. We've lived here for, I don't know, about four or five years. Our neighborhood is just on the edge of downtown, three miles from the mountains, two blocks from the beach. I cannot downplay the truth at all. The views here are amazing. The sunsets we see on the regular will melt the heart of any novel's eyes. I love where I live. It's my favorite place in the world. That's why I'm here. And as I'm saying this, the sun just set and I'm looking out my window with the view I was just talking about. One, one early, what was it? One early evening around sunset during COVID at some point. I can't keep track of COVID time. But one early evening, my wife and I were sitting together at a table on our lanai. That would be a balcony if you're on the mainland. And we were reading, listening to music, meditating, writing, or drinking wine as our way of maintaining a sense of sanity during COVID-19 with two small kids. Sometimes we did all of these at the same time and they all collapsed into one thing. And on this particular night, I glanced over at my wife and she had her AirPods in a single... Uh, let me t- let me take that back. She had my AirPods in a single tear streaming down her face and a glass of wine close by. Now... Was it the beauty of the horizon, the boundary-breaking unity with the spirit she felt, the loosening up from the wine, or the stress from the kids all day that led to the tear? My answer is yes. Yes, it was. But no matter what it was that was leading my lion of a wife to tears, as I turned back to the horizon and mountains, I could, think about this, I could see pink rain pouring out of some of the clouds in the distance. Pink rain. Do you hear what I'm saying? It was awesome in the literal sense of the word of what it could do to a person. And as I sat with and let in the beauty of this unusual phenomenon, something deep within me said very calmly and boldly, this is only possible because of the light and the rain. The light, which we normally see as good, and the rain, which we normally see as bad, formed a relationship that created a moment of beauty that transcended but included them both. The beauty of pink rain formed through this a relationship of two things the dualistic mind would normally see as good and bad. But the horizon was wide enough to hold it all together and let it all be one thing. We need to trust that the horizon of our own being is wide enough and the love of God is deep enough to hold it all together within us too. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus form a seamless path that is wide enough to hold all of my life together as one dynamic flow in the Spirit. As long as we don't deny, avoid, or reject any of it, We have the freedom and the power to embrace the paradox of death and life and pain and joy. See, you you can let the pain in because it's only visiting temporarily. You can sit with all of the suffering 
because it can never outlast the presence of love. You can face all of the heaviness of life because this is where you will come face to face with the holiness of God. So if you ever find yourself wondering, why does he talk about death so much? What's because of how much I believe in life? Why does he talk about pain so much? It's because of how real I know joy is. Why does he talk about the dark so much? It's because of how much I trust in the light. Why does he talk about the the ending so much? What's because of how much I believe in the perpetual possibility of beginning again? Joy is my last word. Joy is what emerges when you when you hold hands with darkness and light and welcome them both to be a part of your ongoing path.